The hall exploded into chaos. The knights sitting outside the firing line just stared in shock, trying to process what was happening. Men stuck closer in tried to dive out of the way. The unlucky knights, the men standing right next to Robert when his brother's opinion came raining down, well, they were screaming for vengeance. They wanted blood. And it's hard to blame them. They were, after all, drenched. Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 437. Everyone's pissed. This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. And you can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com for about the price of a latte per month. And thank you very much to Jacqueline, Alec, and Bruce for signing up already. It's hard to overstate the political shitstorm that Rufus and Henry created in that one golden moment. If you think back to very recent history, that strange hollow hell that we call the year 2020, there was a news cycle that revolved around milkshakes. Specifically, politicians and cops getting milkshakes thrown at them, mostly by young people. In response, there were authorities unironically demanding that these kids be charged with assault with a deadly weapon, and other people talking about terrorism. Why? It wasn't because their lives were in danger. These were milkshakes. It was because getting doused with a milkshake was humiliating, and it made them look silly. It was a direct assault on their aura of authority, and everyone knew it, especially the kids that were throwing them. And stepping back into 1078, we're not talking about getting a face full of milkshake here. This was urine. We have entered a whole different level of public humiliation and disregard here. And this hall was packed with knights who had been raised in an honor culture, the very same kind of culture that demanded violence in order to correct even the mildest of insults. Even worse, these particular knights felt that they were extra important in the hierarchy, even by knightly standards, because they weren't just nobles on campaign. They were the trusted companions of Crown Prince Robert. That's a big deal, which comes with big money later on, you know, so long as things pan out for Robert. So this was a huge honor, or at least it had been a huge honor, before Rufus and Henry got involved. So naturally, the knights completely lost their shit. Because this wasn't just an attack on their honor, it was an attack on their earning potential. But at the same time, the source of said humiliation weren't just some random kids. These were princes. As such, they were kids who socially and politically outranked the knights in a very real and very consequential way. Meaning that the class structure was preventing the knights from their normal recourse of marching up the stairs and kicking the hell out of Rufus and Henry. But if someone who outranked the princes went and, oh, I don't know, ordered them to deliver a beating, well, that would be different then they wouldn't be attacking their superiors. 
they would just be obeying their lord as they, you know, pummeled the princely pissers. Now, much of this story comes from a surprisingly detailed account from Orderic. And based on his description, it sounds like when this happened, Robert was frozen in shock. And yeah, I bet he was. I mean, only a few seconds earlier, he'd been at the top of the world. He had finally gotten out from underneath his father's power embargo, and he had an entourage of his own. Men were finally paying him fealty and following him on campaign. And he had been acting the part of a proper Norman lord in his hall. This must have been a moment he'd spent his entire adult life looking forward to. And then his brothers pissed all over it. Literally. Even worse, Rufus was almost certainly the ringleader here. I mean, this charming, athletic, younger son of Williams was gunning for Robert's inheritance. Or at least some of it. And checking recent events, Rufus very much seemed like he had that inheritance within reach. Because Robert's relationship with his father seems to have crumbled over the last 12 years. At the beginning of the era, he was the Count of Maine and had been declared the Crown Prince. Back then, even though he was a teen, he had some independence and authority of his own. But things turned sour quickly, and Robert was slowly but surely being reduced to courtly furniture. Rufus, on the other hand, well, he was rising. His father was keeping him close, training him in the ways of rule. He was also giving him his own military command. Adding to this, Malmesbury gives us quite a view into the behavior of Rufus. Apparently, this kid was a bit of a suck-up. We're told that he was ever dutiful to the king and always made sure that his father saw him engaging honorably in the battlefield during any of William's various conflicts. And when not at war, Rufus was always right there at court serving dutifully. And we're told that his goal in this was clear. He wanted to take the place of Robert. However, at the same time, he remained quite friendly with Henry. And we're told that this was because he didn't see his younger brother as any kind of threat. And stick a pin in that one. But anyway, this situation naturally put him at odds with Robert. Even worse, Malmesbury tells us that where Robert had faced difficulties, which molded him into a careful and gentle person, Rufus was, quote, delicately brought up and overbearing from that ferocity of mind which was manifest in his countenance would dare everything in defiance of right and equity, end quote. Basically, at least by Malmesbury's assessment, Rufus was spoiled, fearless, and didn't give a damn about norms. And he had spent their entire childhood sucking up to his father and allying himself with Henry, which no doubt made Robert look even worse. So there was tension building in the background here for years. And in this moment, Rufus had bared it for all the noble public to see. This rivalry stood stark and naked in the hall. And unlike 10-year-old Henry, Rufus was in his late teens, old enough to be considered a man, old enough to know exactly how serious this challenge was. It was time for Robert to take a stand. But Robert wasn't moving. 
perhaps because his mind was drowning in a high-pitched whine as he tried to sort through what had just happened to him. But eventually, that shock gave way to rage and disgust, and two voices broke through the static. Ivo and Aubrey de Granda Menil were shouting at Robert, outraged that he was just standing there. Now, these two were the sons of William's trusted companion, Hugh de Granda Menil. And this family knew how to work the courtly system. They'd used their proximity to William to build quite a lot of wealth and power. And Ivo and Aubrey were clearly intending to continue the family business by associating themselves with the next in line. But this next in line needed to actually be next in line. And this situation wasn't helping Robert standing. So Orderick tells us that the two men tried to shake Robert out of it and to take this situation seriously. I mean, what are you doing? Don't you realize what happened? Your brothers just pissed on all of us, Robert. That wasn't subtle. Everyone's going to know what they meant by it. And if you let this slide, you're done. Absolutely no one will respect you and you will never be able to show your face in society again. But, you know, in old French. And they were right, of course. The Normans let a lot of stuff slide. Corpse magic, older women with interests in witchcraft and exhibitionism, genocide, abuse of dead noble bodies. I mean, when you think about it, the Normans really did accept a lot from their aristocratic class. But not this. Never this. But you get the sense from Malmesbury that Robert, at least in his 20s, wasn't particularly quick to action. He tells us that Robert was, quote, of gentler disposition and whose youthful follies had been corrected by many adversities, end quote. So unlike his rash younger brother, Robert had learned throughout his life to show restraint and to choose his battles carefully, which, you know, actually might account for why he wasn't his father's favorite. It might also account for why he was still standing in the hall weighing his options. But his men were screaming, and his honor was damaged, perhaps irreparably. I mean, people were going to talk about this, possibly for years. This was the sort of thing that people might still be talking about like a thousand years from now. So Norman culture demanded that he react. If he didn't, he would never be king. He'd never be duke. At this rate, he'd be lucky if he'd even be a courtier. And so finally, after God knows how long, Robert chose his battle. With the fuse lit, whatever part of his father had laid dormant in Robert for so long woke up. Rage took him, and he charged up the stairs, directly at the obvious ringleader for this conflict, Rufus. It was time to deliver this kid a beatdown. There was one serious issue with this plan, though. Descriptions of Robert suggest that he wasn't just short. They also imply that he wasn't particularly physical and was a bit plump. Rufus, on the other hand, was a born knight. He not only spent his life training for combat, he was gifted at it. He made a hobby out of challenging his own teachers. Making matters worse, Rufus was charismatic and, as we're going to hear about later, 
was developing quite an entourage of his own. So, while Orderic was focusing on Robert and his followers, I wouldn't be surprised if this hall had quite a number of princely factions, and that the balcony was full of Rufus's fellas. I mean, Henry and Rufus must have been playing dice with someone up there. But even if it was just Rufus and Henry, watching Robert huff his way up the stairs must have put a big smile across that smug ginger face, because Robert was playing right into his hands. That crown was practically his now. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? Uh -huh. Not far off, William was in his own lodgings. He was still actually in charge of this whole thing, and that meant they had a lot of work to do for this campaign. And outside, he could hear laughter and conversation, and that was expected. This was actually the fun part of these wars. For the young men, eager to make a name for themselves on campaign, but also anxious about the battles ahead of them, bonding through celebration and alcohol was the heart and soul of the knightly world. And as William listened to the sounds coming from the village, it probably brought back a lot of memories. But, you know, he wasn't a young knight anymore. He was an aging king, about 50 years old. And night years are a bit like dog years. So, rather than an all-night drunken party with the fellas, he probably just wanted a good night's sleep. And then the tenor of the merrymaking changed. There was shouting then more shouting, and then the sounds of objects crashing. And Orderick specifically tells us that William, who was not in the hall, heard the commotion and decided to handle the matter personally. So that brawl between the princes, and probably also their followers, must have gotten bad. Now, William was no stranger to problems caused by bored knights on campaign. You'll recall that as he was preparing for his invasion of England and facing delays, one of his main jobs was keeping his knights from turning the northern coast of France into Woodstock 99. So I suspect that as he gathered his guard together and marched towards the hall, for him, this was like any other day at the office. He likely expected to go in there, break up the fight, have the ringleaders whipped or something, and then go back to bed, satisfied with a job well done. But then he entered the hall, and he saw the scale of what was happening, and who was involved. This wasn't some random fight between minor knights. This was a goddamn grand melee, and at the center of it were his own f***ing kids. Even worse, the mere sight of him and his guards should have stopped the fight. But it didn't. I mean, maybe some of the followers withdrew on the side of the king, but not Robert and Rufus. Oh no, they either didn't realize the king was in the room, or they didn't care. Either way, they weren't stopping. And obviously, Rufus wouldn't. He loved this stuff. But as for Robert, well, Robert had obviously been pushed way too far, and he had blown. So William dashed up the stairs and literally threw himself in there, personally prying his panting, furious sons apart. In my mind, I see Robert, having finally lost his temper, screaming all manner of accusations and threats at Rufus. 
all while Rufus, looking a bit like the cat who got the cream, asked his brother if he wanted a fresh one. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? I don't know if that's exactly how it looked, but it feels right. And I have no doubt that all the details of the conflict quickly tumbled out with Robert telling the king how Rufus and Harry had peed on them, and Rufus and Harry telling William how Robert was pretending to already be king and completely dishonoring their father in the course of it, all while the other knights in attendance shuffled their feet awkwardly and tended to their bloody noses and bruised ribs and soggy tunics. This whole thing was an embarrassing scene. And even if this had been kicked off by low-ranked knights, it would have been a problem for William. But this was all three of his heirs. So what was William supposed to do here? Well, Robert had an idea. He wanted the king to punish Rufus. And my guess here is that given the situation, a beating was the bare minimum that Robert would accept. And ritual disembowelment was probably somewhere on the list. But... Rufus had been playing the game very well up to this point. And so, to his father, he'd been looking more and more like a worthy candidate for rule. And that complicated matters. If he punished Rufus, that could create problems for him in the future. Rufus was also a fighter. So it was probably an open question as to how well he'd react to a punishment in the first place. Robert, on the other hand... Well, Malmesbury gives us the impression that William wasn't too worried about his eldest. The king's diminutive view of Robert went well beyond a single mean nickname. Actually, according to Malmesbury, he gave Robert two nicknames. He also apparently called his son, who was now approaching his 30s, quote, Little Robin, end quote. And even when William had something nice to say about his son, he'd say it in a way that you'd describe a child. Some of his recorded statements can be roughly translated to describing his son as a spirited lad and a splendid little fighter. So I think we can safely assume that William wasn't too worried about how Robert would react if he didn't get his way. And so nobody was punished, least of all Rufus. Instead, everyone was told to knock it off and go to bed. Your father, and more importantly, your king, is telling you that this conflict is done. Not another word. Bed. Now. But remember how I told you that order gives us a surprising amount of detail about this conflict? Well, he actually tells it twice. In book five of his work, Orderick takes another swing at this family conflict. And this time, Orderick presents an argument between William and Robert. And of course... It's an argument about lands, titles, and money. Now, he doesn't specifically tell us when this conversation occurred, but it must have happened either sometime before the pea-soaked brawl or later that same evening after William broke up the fight. And I kind of hope it happened on that same night. So that's where I'm going to put it. However, as you listen... Keep in mind that Orderick wrote Book 5 years after the first time he wrote about this brawl. And he also wrote it long after Malmesbury wrote his own cover version of the brawl. So basically, think about this series of documents that describe this conflict like the medieval version of Spider-Man. 
Orderick's brawl was the Tobey Maguire one. Then Momsbury came along and did the Adam Garfield one, which was fine, but just kind of rehashed old themes. And then, realizing how popular this was becoming, Orderick revisited the conflict and gave us the Tom Holland one. But book five is also long-winded and Orderick-y, so I'm going to compress it and put it into more comprehensible language. So here we go. After the fight, there was no way that this slumber party was going to actually go to sleep. So Robert and his companions sat around and rehashed the night's events. And his companions slowly began to hype him up and convinced him how terribly he'd been wronged. They flattered the hell out of him and basically told him to bro up and lay down the law with his dad. Bolstered by his squad, Robert marched into his father's chambers and said in old French, Hey, give me Normandy. It should be mine anyway. You don't even need it. You've got England. And William, trying to set Robert on fire with his eyes, responded, I conquered England and I inherited Normandy upon the death of my father. You, on the other hand, haven't conquered anything and your father is very much still alive. So I don't owe you shit, Bob. To which Robert said, but... How am I supposed to repay my followers? They expect to be rewarded for their fealty of me. And William replied, not my monkey, not my circus. And frankly, the only thing that you should be concerned with is making me, your literal king, happy. Which should have put an end to this. But Robert had clearly snapped. And so that warning was not sinking in. Instead, he just starts whining about how he was functionally just a landless knight and how that super sucks. Now, obviously, this is a terrible tactic. I mean, it made him look weak and whiny. But even worse, it highlighted the difference between him and his younger brother. Because Rufus, who was also a landless knight, was very conspicuously not complaining about it one bit. And instead, Rufus was very conspicuously focusing on just getting his father's approval. And it seems that this complaint was the last straw for the king. Because he barked that this whole argument was just f***ing ridiculous. And that Robert would get all that he wanted if he just showed a little patience and did the decent thing of waiting for his father's death. And then he basically says, in the meantime, what you really need to do here, Robert, is stop listening to your friends. They're Norman Knights, and I know Norman Knights. They're rash, they're imprudent, and they're often downright criminal jackasses who merely want to sow chaos so they can seize power for themselves. And I gotta be honest, William definitely had a point here. Ordering makes it quite plain that these friends had actually talked Robert into this argument with the king, not because they wanted Robert to get respect, but because they wanted to get rich. Now, unfortunately, William's solution to this problem was to tell his son that he needed to get better friends. And his suggestion was that he become friends instead with Lanfranc. Yeah, he told his 20-something son to ditch his cool, fancy friends that are his own age and start hanging out instead with a 73-year-old priest. Now, surprising no one, Robert told him to stuff it and then made fun of his dad for making long speeches, basically saying, blah, 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 blah. Are you going to give me Normandy or not? And William, 
honestly showing some uncharacteristic restraint in the face of all of this, shouted back, did I stutter? No, you're not getting Normandy so long as I live. So Robert turned around and marched out of the room. Challenge accepted, motherfucker. So it was a hell of an argument. Even when it's read in Orderick's original awkward stilted prose, you can just feel the drama dripping off of it. And while I really want this messy reality TV-style argument to be absolutely true, there is a problem. Orderick wasn't in the room. But then again, the subject of the conflict and the tension underneath that conversation was very real. It was so real, in fact, that everybody knew about it, which actually made it only more dangerous. So think about that Jerry Springer-style script that we get from Orderick. More like one of those dramatizations that we see in a biopic. Orderick wasn't giving us real quotes, but he was describing a very real conflict. And it was actually one that was very common in 11th and 12th century Europe. The nobles of the younger generation had to wait before they could take authority and walk the halls of power. And the trouble was that the older generation resisted giving up any of their power under any circumstance. And frankly, they resented even being asked. And you know, looking at the average age of Congress right now, I gotta admit, I can kind of relate to the younger nobles here. And this tension, which was baked into the ruling structure of France, seems to have been escalated by William's personal style of rule. Because he was suspicious. And he was only willing to delegate his authority to a very small number of insiders. And Robert wasn't on that list. So while a wiser man might have installed a pressure valve by giving Robert an increasing amount of responsibility as he grew, William did the opposite. And as Robert aged, he was actually getting less. William had taken the pressure cooker of French noble culture and he turned it into a bomb. And it was bad enough that Robert, who was normally so steady and calm, was getting into brawls with his brothers over his Norman ambitions. Not only that, but many of Robert's companions were the sons of William's own trusted commanders. Meaning that Robert wasn't alone in his outrage at his thwarted ambitions. Instead, he was joined by many of the up-and-coming nobles who, William had correctly assessed, were very likely to be among the most ambitious and ruthless members of Norman society. And now, following Peagate and that royal decree that everyone just need to chill out and let bygones be bygones, well now there were a bunch of up-and-coming nobles who had a beef specifically with the king and two of his sons. And how many lords had fallen because they'd failed to take the younger generation seriously and instead treated them with disrespect and belittled them. I mean, looking at the average age of Congress, I'm going to say not enough, but the answer here is many. Hell, William himself had been responsible for a few of those fallen medieval lords. And if William had taken Robert just a little more seriously, he probably would have been really concerned with what had just happened here. But William didn't take Robert seriously. Instead, he went back to his lodgings, maybe washed up a little because, you know, that scamp Rufus had really made a mess back there. And finally, he settled down to get some much-needed rest. Meanwhile, Robert and his men were quietly packing their things. 
and then, keeping as low and quiet as possible, they saddled their horses, opened the gates, and rode out of the castle. Robert finally heard the answer he needed to hear. He had been patient. He had been diligent. He'd been measured. And what had that gotten him other than public humiliation on a historic scale? Any question as to who the real crown prince was had been answered when Rufus was allowed to get away with turning Robert into an open joke. The message was clear. Preserving Rufus's honor mattered to William. Robert's? Not so much. And Robert wasn't alone. Because if he didn't inherit his father's titles, then all of these young knights will have hitched their wagon to a horse that is going nowhere. Even worse, the guy who had just peed on them, well, he would eventually become their lord. Fuck that. Robert and his knights were all on the same page here. It was time to take matters into their own hands and take what they were owed. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.